first time I've stood in front of a live congregation for a year, and uh, some of my teaching has been done on a mobile phone, resting on a torch on top of a Bible dictionary on top of a filing cabinet. So uh, this is a much more sophisticated approach uh, this morning. I wasn't expecting to close this series on Ephesians, but Matthew asked me if I, if I would today. And so it's my privilege to go for the tenth time that we've looked at this particular uh, book, the book of Ephesians. And I say today we're going to uh, finish off and complete this series. So we're going to Ephesians chapter 6, and I'm going to pick up at verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasion with all kinds of Uh, prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak words, they may be given to me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. We won't uh, be able to Uh, reach these final verses, but we just uh, include them as they conclude the letter. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. Peace be to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So, perhaps actually the most famous passage or best-known passage in uh, the letter to the Ephesians, this passage about the armour of God. Now, my conviction has always been that the most pastoral verse in the New Testament is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 8, where the Apostle Paul says, For now... We really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. That verse will tell you whether or not you're a pastor. uh, Because if you are gifted as a pastor, the thing that you will long for above all is that your people will stand firm. Uh, Certainly you want to see people converted, but if you're a pastor, what will give you your life is that people will stand firm. Interestingly, if you have a different gifting, if you're an evangelist, you'll get your life from the fact that people are saved. Uh, You want them to stand firm, but where you'll get your life is uh, if people, in fact, are saved. Well, Paul was an apostle, but also a great pastor. And so interestingly, here in Ephesians chapter 6, in this passage on the armor of God, he speaks three to four times of people standing or standing firm. You can see that if you just run your eyes across the opening verses from verse 10 of Ephesians 6 here. 
And so this for Paul was incredibly important that Christian people were those who knew how to stand. Now, I want to explain my uh, interpretation of this particular passage to you because I'm very keen that we get into the real meaning of what this armor of God is all about. And to do that, I think we have to recognize the immediate context in which Paul is speaking and also the wider context. Now, as far as the immediate context is concerned, we can see that it's spiritual warfare. That's what he's writing about. He's saying to us that the Christian is engaged in a great spiritual conflict. And indeed, we can identify the enemy. He says that in verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. So there are these dark uh, spiritual forces, demonic forces, that are set against us uh, as believers and indeed as local churches. That's the enemy. And uh, we can read here, as we do, that the enemy has schemes that he launches against us, and also that at times we endure evil days, both as individuals and as local churches. Evil days are not uh, a period of 24 hours, but a season when either as a local church or as an individual believer, we seem to come under particular sustained spiritual attack. And often when I've been referring to this subject, when I've been teaching groups of leaders, I say, if you are pastoring a church in which you have never had an evil day, be utterly encouraged and reassured, you will. Uh, because uh, uh, there are times when Satan seems to just line up all his big guns against you and fire them all at once. So that's the immediate context, spiritual warfare, conflict. We have the enemy, dark demonic forces, invisible demonic forces. But then we must also understand that uh, uh, besides the... the, immediate context, there is the the wider context. And the wider context can be thought of as the whole of this letter. Uh, What is it that is Paul's great theme in Ephesians? And I would suggest to you, it's his great teaching and what it is to be in Christ. He announces that in verse 3 of chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he goes on to underline and to make clear what these spiritual blessings are. And really right through Ephesians, he's teaching us what it is to be in Christ. uh, That's where God has placed us in his Son. And also he tells us what it is to live out our life in Christ. And we've been looking at that the last uh, few weeks. And so it seems to me that uh, as Paul has been unfolding this in his letter, what he actually does in Ephesians 6 at the end of this letter is to come back to and really underline this particular theme of our being in Christ. Paul is a superb teacher, and typically with Paul's writings, you'll find that he repeats himself and underlines things in order that we might really grasp hold of it. And I believe that here, he's finishing really where he began. He's been saying to us, I've told you what it is to be in Christ. I've told you what it is like to live out your life in Christ. Now, have you got it? Have you really got hold of it? Are you applying it? And again, as uh, so often 
what Paul does here is to give us the general direction of where he's going and then to fill in the details. That's typical, again, of the method of Paul. And so he announces his general theme, which is there in verse 11, and then re repeated in verse 13. He says, put on the full armor of God. That's what he wants us to do. Now, that's his instruction to us as he comes to the end of this letter. Put on the full armor of God. That's all in one phrase. Now, I just want you to suppose for a moment that's all we had. As we came to the end of Ephesians, all that Paul says to us is that as I close, I want to say this to you, put on the full armor of God. Would we know what he meant? Well, how would we find out what he meant? I think we'd have to think it through, and we'd see that his immediate context for saying this is spiritual conflict and warfare, and therefore we need to defend ourselves, but put on the full armor of God, what would that mean if we had nothing else? Well, you'd go back to the wider context, and you would see that Paul is teaching what we are in Christ. He's un, un, uh, underlying all his teaching in this uh, particular epistle with that truth, what it is to be in Christ the spiritual blessings that come because we're in Christ. And so we could then assume that if we really grasp hold of and understand what it is to be in Christ, that that surely will be our greatest defense in times of spiritual attack and spiritual conflict. And so the Apostle Paul is really teaching us in this passage how we are to stand firm in a time of spiritual conflict and spiritual attack. And having told us to put on the full armor of God, he then gives us the detail. And so from verse 13, every piece of the armor that we are to wear is described. But all of it, I want to stress to you, and I'm going to point this out, is about being in Christ. Now, you may feel I'm laboring this, and I am, for one very good reason. I've heard a great deal of teaching from this passage over the years about spiritual warfare, and I must admit that quite often I've come away feeling it's a bit muddly, because what you get is all these different bits of armor described. What are we meant to do? Go into a, a room where there's a wardrobe and take out this bit of armor and that bit of armor, and nothing seems to connect. There's all just random bits of armor that we're meant to wear. And I don't think we can somehow get to the full meaning of what the spiritual arm is all about, unless we understand that it's all joined together under this one theme of what it is to be in Christ. And I think when we see that, the whole armor, as it were, connects and is a means of being our defense in times of spiritual warfare and conflict. Now, Paul uses as his model to teach on this a Roman soldier in full armor. Paul was very connected to Roman soldiers, sometimes quite literally, uh, by a chain. And so he was well aware of uh, what a, a Roman soldier would wear when he put on his full armour. So let's now run through these different pieces of the armour. As, as I've said, you'll see all these are connected together by this great theme of our being in Christ. So first of all, there's the belt of truth. And you read of that in verse 14. Every Roman soldier wore a belt. To this belt, he could attach a sword, and the belt also kept his tunic in place. In a sense, the belt was essential to hold everything together. It's a bit like a man wearing a loose pair of trousers. He either needs braces or he needs a belt. That's essential to hold everything together. 
And so, uh, for the Christian, there is a belt that holds everything together, and that belt is a belt of truth. It is truth that holds everything together, and it makes sense of everything and avoids confusion. Today, we're living in a time when everything is regarded as relative, meaning that what is true for you is what is the truth. What is good for you, well, it's what works for you. That's what really matters. I remember a number of years ago, I was talking to a nurse who was working in a hospice for the dying, and she said that uh, everything in the hospice was regarded as being equally valid and of equal value uh, when you were helping a dying patient. And so if they wanted a mantra, uh, they could have that. Uh, if they wanted some verses from the Quran, they could have that. If they wanted some candles lit, they could have that. If they wanted Psalm 23, they could have that. The only truth was what you believed. So the Bible, well, that's okay, but it's of no greater value than anything else. Just take your pick. It's whatever truth. That's what's truth as far as you're concerned. That's what the truth is. And so people then say, well, of course, there's no absolute truth. The perverse thing about that statement is that that statement itself becomes the absolute truth. Um, if you say there is no absolute truth, that is the absolute truth. Uh, and so you kind of get into this funny kind of muddle about uh, truth and uh, what is true for you. Take, take that view, and finally, nothing holds together. And what you have is moral, religious, and social confusion. Paul speaks of a belt of truth that holds everything together. One of the really fascinating things about uh, Christianity, I've always thought, is this. When you're outside of Christianity, the whole thing can look ridiculous. The faith can seem a stupid thing, an irrelevant thing. But then one day you cross the line and you come into Christian faith, and suddenly, apart from all the blessings of salvation, you find that everything makes sense. I mean, consider the biggest questions of life. Uh, how did we get here? Well... Uh, maybe we came out of some primeval soup, and that's where we began. Why are we here? Well, I suppose we're going to try and find out. Uh, how do we live? Well, we live as we feel we ought to live. Where are we going? Well, basically, we're going nowhere. We're just going to be extinguished. But in Christ, we have the truth that actually brings everything together, and all of this falls into place. We know that God has brought us into existence. We know that we're here to live to the praise of his glory. We have a standard to live up to, which is to live out our life in Christ. And we know where we're going to be with God for all eternity. And suddenly the truth of what we are in Christ makes sense of everything, even the biggest questions that there are in life. And so there is this belt of truth that holds everything in place. We're in Christ. And everything in our lives is held together by that belt of truth. Now, secondly, we see there's a breastplate of righteousness. That's in verse 14 as well. And a breastplate, of course, provided major protection for the soldier, the Roman soldier, in battle. Uh, there was this uh, great breastplate that covered his heart and other life-essential organs. 
Well, when we're in Christ, we are covered with the righteousness of Christ. That's our covering. And so you go to Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 4, and Paul says, For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Please understand that verse is telling us what we are. So often Christians read that we've been chosen in Christ before the creation of the world. What's our response? Well, we, we surely need to respond by being holy and blameless. No, that's not our response, because the Bible says here that when he chose us in Christ, he sees us in Christ, and how does he see us in Christ? He sees us to be holy and blameless, because we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That's how God sees us. And surely we are meant to live lives that are holy and blameless. Yes, but that's out of, running out of what we already are. We are holy and blameless because we're covered with the righteousness of Jesus. That's our breastplate. And God sees us covered with the righteousness of Jesus. That's how he looks upon us. And so as we look at this room this morning, uh, we see people, but as God looks at this room this morning, he sees righteous people because they're covered in the righteousness of his son. That is how God sees us. And he sees us like that because we're united to Jesus, we're in Christ. I fail, yes, but God sees you in Christ, holy and blameless. You're covered with the breastplate of righteousness. There's a wonderful other description of this by Paul in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and verse 30, where he said, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus. Notice that, you are in Christ Jesus, who has become from us wisdom from God. That is, he is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. And because we're in Christ Jesus, we have his righteousness. Now, the Roman soldier had this breastplate, and I guess when he went into battle, that would have given him some courage. He got a very major defense because he got uh, this breastplate that covered his heart and these life-given organs. It would have given him courage in battle. Well, my friends, be courageous in the battle. We're in Christ. Satan may attack us, and we may be having a bad time, perhaps having a bad time right now because of what we're going through in this pandemic. Satan can do that to us, make us feel low and bad and discouraged, but I'm in Christ. That's my great defense. I'm righteous in the sight of God. Hallelujah. And then next, we see there are gospel boots. That's in verse 15, we read about the gospel boots. The Roman soldier, when he was on the move, walking up the Roman roads or uh, on a march to somewhere, or when he was in battle, would wear leather boots which were strapped around his ankles and they had heavily studded soles. And these, these uh, boots were designed to be good for long marches but also for standing solid in a time of battle because they had non-slip soles. Now, there are a couple of ways in which this particular statement in Ephesians 6 has been interpreted. How do you understand verse 15? Um, and the, the way that the 
excellent as I think it is, NIV translates it as your feet are fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is one point of which I don't feel the NIV is quite so excellent because what tends to happen is that people read verse 15 and say, obviously, this is a call to us to evangelize. Our feet need to be fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. And so we need to be ready to go out and declare this gospel of truth and peace. Now, of course, we do. And there are a zillion verses, as it were, in the New Testament that would tell us to do that and to evangelize. But my friends, that doesn't fit the context here. The context here immediately is about defending ourselves against spiritual attack, to be able to defend ourselves when we're in spiritual conflict. And so one translation of the New Testament, the New English Bible, which generally I do not favor, actually is brilliant in translating this particular scripture. And it translates it like this. Let the shoes on your feet be the gospel of peace to give you a firm footing. And that's exactly what the Roman soldier had. He had a firm footing because of the boots that he was wearing. So this verse and this piece of equipment, it's not really so much about readiness as it is about steadiness. Because in the gore of battle, when there might be fighting in a muddy field and the whole thing had turned to slush, really, and the blood was flowing, I mean, it would have been just gory in battle. What could the soldier do as a Roman? He could stand firm in the gore of battle because he had these particular shoes or boots that he was wearing. Years ago, I was uh, an elder in a church where a group of the ladies decided to come together for an exercise class, which they called wobblers. I've got to be careful how I handle this. I I think the, uh, the point was that you did the exercise, so perhaps you didn't wobble quite so much. I think that was the, the point of this group. And uh, obviously, I suppose it was motivated by the idea that wobbling is not always a very pretty sight. Paul says here, stand firm. It's there in verse 13, don't wobble. Well, he doesn't actually say don't wobble, but he does say stand firm. Why do Christians wobble? My friends, because they forget they're in Christ. Look at it in Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through or in our Lord Jesus Christ. Because we are through Christ or in Christ, then in Christ we've gone from the wrath of God to peace with God, hostilities between us and God are at an end. I am at peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, I can stand firm in times of attack. And Christians do get attacked. Sometimes an attack on your health, sometimes an attack on your job, sometimes an attack on your family. We can wobble. Perhaps God doesn't love me anymore. Hey, stand firm. You've got peace with God through and in our Lord Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's quite trivial and we begin to wobble. Or does God really care about me? Yes, you're in Christ and therefore you have peace with God. And whatever the attack is, we can stand. And Paul says here in verse 13, and after you've done everything to stand because we've got these gospel boots that keep us firmly rooted. 
Sometimes it can even be a Job experience where absolutely everything seems to go wrong and everything seems to be taken away from us, but we can still stand firm. We've got gospel boots. We're in Christ. We can stand. And then fourthly, we see there's the shield of faith. That's in verse 16. The Roman soldier had uh, access to two types of shield. The Greek word here makes it clear this was the big shield as opposed to a smaller shield that he had access to. The big shield consisted of two pieces of wood glued together, very deliberately constructed. One piece of wood was to stop an arrow penetrating through into your flesh, but the piece of wood that was glued on top of that was to extinguish an arrow which was coming to you on fire, so that if it was, came to you, the, the uh, arrow on fire would have its fire extinguished as it came into the first piece of wood, and then would be unable to actually penetrate the second piece of wood. And fiery arrows were a device of the enemy which were very scary because they would dip the arrows in pitch and light them and fire them, and these literally flaming arrows would come towards the Roman army, and they would lift their shields to quench those flaming arrows. With the shield of faith, we are able to extinguish Satan's flaming arrows. They are on fire, and they're dangerous, and probably the greatest danger is fear. You know, that's, that's an arrow on fire. Maybe even at the moment for us at Gateway, there could be a bit of fear about a building program. How are we going to pay for it? Have, have we got the resources to do that? Fear could actually grip us a bit. Or maybe it's accusation that Satan comes to us and says, are you really a Christian? Do you know you're sure of your salvation? Can you actually be guaranteed that God really loves you? He can bring all sorts of accusations against you. What do we do? We say, I'm in Christ. We lift up our shield of faith. As we lift up our shield of faith, we say, I believe. I believe I'm in Christ. I believe I'm safe in him and secure in him. And psh, the fiery arrows are extinguished and cannot penetrate to your flesh. Next, we see it's the helmets of salvation. That's there in verse 17. Roman helmets were made of strong metal, bronze or iron. They were sponge inside to protect uh, the flesh on their heads. They were very hard to pierce with a weapon. In 1 Thessalonians 5.8, Paul makes another uh, example of this where he says, put on the hope of salvation as a helmet. And therefore, there are two references by Paul to the helmets of salvation in the New Testament. Salvation that we enjoy now, but also it gives us hope for what is to come. Right? It's the hope uh, of salvation, as Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5.8. Now, of course, a helmet covers the head and therefore protects the mind. And that's where the attacks come from, isn't it? From penetration into the mind. Uh, enemy tactics to mess up your mind, mess up your thinking. Where's our defense? Our defense is in our great salvation that we're in Christ, both now and then in the future and forever in glory with the Lord. We're a distracted generation. Our minds go this way and that way. We've got all sorts of devices and entertainment to distract our thinking. We need to stop and think 
This salvation that we have in Christ is better than anything else that anybody or anything else can ever purchase for us. Our salvation is way beyond anything else that can be provided for us. Read through Ephesians 1, 3 to 10, every spiritual blessing that is ours in Christ. Read it through, meditate upon it. Let it roll around in your mind and protect your mind. Think what it means to be in Christ. And then the last piece of the armour is the sword of the Spirit, mentioned in verse 17. And the Roman soldier, again, had two types of sword that he could make use of, uh, a long sword, which he could charge into battle, but also a short stabbing sword, which was for close combat when the enemy came in really close. It's the short stabbing sword that is the Greek word for what is used here. And the apostle says, the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Our need is to use that sword in times of close combat with the enemy to defend ourselves by stabbing with this sword. Jesus was attacked in the wilderness by Satan over his identity. If you are the Son of God. It was all about his identity. If you are the Son of God, turn these uh, stones into bread and so on. If you are the Son of God. What, is, what did Jesus do? He was in a close combat situation. He stabbed away with the word of God, quoting scriptures from the Old Testament about not tempting uh, the Lord your God and scriptures that he used from there. That's what we've got to do, my friends, that when it's in close combat, when the enemy sees, seems near, we need to stab away. I'm in Christ. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Every promise of God is yes and amen in Christ. And we stab away uh, with our sword, which is the word of God. Use the sword. So, in general terms, Paul says, put on the full armour of God because he wants us to stand firm. Uh, but what does it mean to say, put on the full armour of God? I suggest to you that what it means is that you know and apply your position in Christ. And every piece of the armour feeds into that. We have a belt of truth in Christ, everything holds together. We have a breastplate of righteousness. We stand covered by the righteousness of Christ because we're in Christ. We've got gospel boots we can stand firm. We don't need to wobble around. We're on a firm footing because we have peace with God in Jesus Christ. We have the shield of faith that can deal with those flaming arrows. Lift it. I believe I'm in Christ. We've got the helmet of salvation. Think about the hope of your salvation, which is yours in Jesus. And we have the sword of the Spirit to stab away with. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus I didn't mention the very opening verse of this passage because I think it serves as a final word for this passage and a final word for the whole series that we've done over the last 10 weeks on the book of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Amen. <clears throat> Father, we thank you for the fact that we can defend ourselves in times of attack. 
We thank you, Lord, that uh, we can put on this full armor of God. It's not kind of some mystical idea or something about wandering around trying to find bits of equipment in a wardrobe. It's about being in Christ. And Father, we pray that we may be skillful as we learn how to defend ourselves with this great truth and doctrine in our lives. That when Satan comes against us and causes us to fear or accuses us or puts us through a bad season, that we can stand rock solid on the truth of who we are in Christ and defend ourselves against every uh, unseemly attack because we know the hope of this great salvation. We thank you for it. We thank you we're in Christ. May we be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Amen.